zone. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order. Overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Caveman, released April 17th, 1981. It was written by Ray DeLuca and Carl Gottlieb, directed by Carl Gottlieb, with uncredited work from Jim Danforth, and released by United Artists. In 1974, during production on Spielberg's Jaws, screenwriter Carl Gottlieb was hired by producers Lawrence Terman and David Foster to write Caveman for United Artists. After the success of Jaws, Jaws 2, and The Jerk, it was decided that this film would also be Gottlieb's directorial debut. And finale. Aww. <laughs> On a 4 to $5 million budget, it turned around and made 6.4 in its first two weeks, and eventually over $10 million. So that's, it paid for itself. That's successful. Yeah. yeah. For her audition, Shelley Long refused to speak English and ad-libbed grunts the entire time. At drive-in screenings in Australia, a pamphlet translating 30 caveman words was handed out that you could easily understand from context just by watching the movie. Not only could you figure these out with the film context, but even if you didn't, two-thirds of the way through the movie, they literally spell it out for yeah, you. Yeah, they somebody just read the dictionary. Somebody starts speaking English, yeah. and they're like, this, 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 this. <laughs> yeah. But I also like to think it was just like, you know, we're sorry, guys. This is a movie from America. You know how they speak, so yeah. this is the best we can do to tra- <laughs> translate. Catch everybody else up. Like it's freaking Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop motion animator Jim Danforth was promised a co-director credit for his work, which he more than earned, but quit the project when the DGA nixed the idea. He was reportedly two-thirds of the way finished with his work on the film, which included designing the dinosaurs and directing the action that would serve as the backplates to the animated sequences, the actual animation of Dinosaur Puppets was handled by David Allen, Randy Cook, and Pete Kleino. As a result, Danforth goes completely uncredited in the film. Oh, that's such a shame. The designs are so cool, and he didn't get a credit for them. We start with the title, Caveman, and each letter appears carved from an individual rock against a black background. The words shake for a minute, and then they're crushed by an avalanche of stones. We cut to the skeleton of an animal laying against a cliff, and we tilt up and zoom in on a tribe of cave people collecting fruit from trees near an outcropping of rock. They grunt at each other, and I'm reminded that supposedly nobody speaks in this film. Or at least not English words. But one person does. But yeah, one person does speak English words at some point. But everything that I... So going into this film, everything I knew about it was basically there was no... What I thought, there was no dialogue. Oh, okay. Mm. But there's dialogue. Yeah. It's just not in English. Right. It's in gibberish. <laughs> we see our lead character, Atuk, played by Ringo Starr, about to pluck a shriveled fruit from a tree when another caveman intercepts it. Atuk moves to another tree, and an enormous caveman named Tonda, played by John Matusak, tears the tree in half and shouts him away from it. A title informs us that this is 1 zillion BC, October 9th. <laughs> Which made me laugh, and I think... 
more so because of how many movies arbitrarily put the dates in. And I'm yeah. Like, this is great. <laughs> but it's also actually, it was added in post in memory of John Lennon because that's his birthday and he oh. had just been killed like three months earlier. Well, that's very sweet, but also funny. Yeah, it works as a joke too. <laughs> this is possibly the earliest any film has taken place for us. A zillion BC. Because <laughs> a zillion <laughs> is not an actual number. The only two that I could think of that could possibly take place earlier were potentially Empire Strikes Back, because mm. who knows when that takes place, and uh, maybe parts of Altered States, but I don't know. <laughs> we crossfade to a lizard in a Venus flytrap, which snaps shut on the creature and sinks out of frame. The plant was clearly a simple hand puppet. Yeah, it's great. It's It's... It's not even like a good hand puppet. No, it looks like an <laughs> yeah. oven mitt with leaves <laughs> yeah, glued to it. Exactly. But it's really just delightfully bad. Yeah. A toot comes upon the same bush and tries to collect a couple fruits from it, but becomes ensnared in the carnivorous vines. One of them kisses him, and eventually they set him free. <laughs> Seems like that's all they wanted was a kiss. Yeah, yeah they just were like interested in, in, in a little taste. I like the movement of all of these vines, though, too. Like They're all very you know, puppeted with strings. Yeah, they look like Ghidorah heads. They're just kind of on strings floating around. A toque sneaks up on a lizard on a rock wall, and then we see a shadow behind him. And as he turns, we see a giant lizard is stalking him. It's stop motion animated, and it looks great. All the all the stop motion animals like they they have such goofy eyes. Yeah, yeah, they're very cartoony. They're all like perfectly round, bug-eyed circles that just loop around in their head constantly. He makes a run for it, and the monster follows him. He tries to warn his fellow cavemen of the lizard that he's led back to their camp, and they all start climbing the tiny trees their field has to offer. A pair of cavemen are quickly elected to throw rocks at the beast and it starts catching them in its mouth. Still running, Atuk bumps into Lar, as played by Dennis Quaid, and they race toward the rocks to escape the monster. Tonda shoves Atuk to the ground and starts yanking the other hiding cavemen out of their tree. They run for a second taller tree, and Lar waits for the monster to pass, and then jumps on its thagomizer, biting its tail repeatedly <laughs> until it throws him into the air. Thagomizer? Oh, yes. Yeah. The spikes on the tail. It's called a thagomizer. <coughs> Nerd. <coughs> Gary Larson named it. <laughs> no. He said, yeah, because in a comic strip he said, what is this part of the stegosaurus named? Nobody's named it. I'm going to call it the thagomizer or something like that. And then that's what it's officially called now because of what he wrote. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. It's, it's a true fact. <laughs> <laughs> Although this is clearly not a stegosaurus, but whatever. It's you okay. Know. I'll take it. The Thagomizer jumps on it. Got it. For a moment here, both the dinosaur and Lar are stop motion animated until Dennis Quaid is thrown into the air. But it's quick enough that it kind of passes. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. The dinosaur quickly topples the second taller tree and sends a batch of cavemen tumbling across the dirt. The dinosaur grabs one of them, Nuda, by the foot. And the animation work here is very clever. They clearly shot the caveman being dragged through the dirt across the screen right to left by one leg, and then they animated over it with the dinosaur so they could match his motion exactly, but the dinosaur model has a tiny fake boot in his mouth yeah, so that it looks like he actually has a grip on the person in the yeah. background. Similarly, like when he's riding it, there's like f 
the the legs on it are clearly a puppet, whereas like the torso up is like a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all of these plates line up so perfectly well yeah. to the to the animation. They're really phenomenal. The dino picks the man up in his mouth and then walks away as the rest of the cavemen move back out in the open. After the battle, Lar is still injured and calls to Atuk for help as everyone leaves. Atuk helps him up and untangles his legs before teaching him how to limp. At first, Lar favors the injured leg, but then he figures it out. Tonda's second-in-command, Auk, played by Avery Schreiber, observes the scene and calls it to Tonda's attention. Through context, we learn the word puka means injured or broken when Auk accuses Lar of being puka, which he denies by saying nya puka, until Tonda kicks him over to prove it. The cavemen return to their caves where the women are waiting. Atuk sits alone outside, womanless, and Tonda calls to Lana, played by Barbara Bach. Her caveman accent is significantly more convincing than the southern drawl she put up for Up the Academy last year. You can hand me that John. <laughs> Atuk watches her lovingly. Ock pantomimes their entire dinosaur adventure for the ladies in the cave, using the word matcha in place of monster. Atuk waits for Tonda to sleep before presenting Lana with a fruit to eat. She says she alundas fruit, and Atuk says he alundas her, with hope in his eyes, suggesting that alunda means love here. He asks if she loves him, and she wakes Tonda to share the fruit with him. And the simp Atuk returns to his corner of the cave, <laughs> depressed. That night, we see a dinosaur howling at the moon. <laughs> <laughs> I love all these inserts. They're great. In the morning, we see a crowd of cavemen surrounding an enormous pot plant with fruit hanging from it. They pressure Atuk to try the fruit, and he does. Next, one of two things happens. Either he's very quickly aroused by the fruit and sticks his hand in his pants for a moment before passing out. <laughs> or... He's pocketing more berries from the bush because he loves them so much. What I thought was happening initially was that he was pretending yeah. to eat them. But then he actually does really pass out. So I was I, I had the exact same thought you did. I thought he was like, I keep not getting food because everyone takes it from me. I'm going to pretend this is poisonous and then keep these for myself. Yes. It looked like he took half of the berry, though. Like It looks like he bit into the berry and got half of it. And he did. Yeah. But for some reason, he also, at the same moment that he does that, knows to save a few and passes yeah. out. The other cavemen abandon the plant, assuming it will kill them too. In the cave later, Atuk looks up from his sleepy berries to Lana shaking her cave girl butt and makes a plan <laughs> to roofie her. He fills a larger fruit with sleepy berries and presents it to Lana with more ool, meaning food, and she shares it with Tonda, rendering them both unconscious. A slide whistle accompanies the sun setting and the rising of the moon, and Atuk begins his sexual assault. Weird that he waited so long since they fell asleep when the sun was still up, and it's now hours later. He shouts at and slaps Tonda and gets no response, and then turns his attention to Lana. He begins to mount her, and her legs snap shut around his neck. He breaks loose and rolls her over, but suddenly Tonda rolls back into frame and farts at him, knocking him over. He tries to jump on Lana, and she rolls aside, leaving him to hump their fur-covered rock bed for a moment before he realizes it isn't her. We see the same animation of the howling dinosaur from earlier, but now it's lit for day, and the dinosaur is cock-a-doodle-doing. 
I didn't not laugh yeah. at any of these. <laughs> <laughs> in the morning, Tonda rolls over and grabs a toque, mistaking him for Lana. He forces a toque to straddle him, and Tonda's hands crawl up a toque's chest until no boobs are found, and he finally opens his eyes. Tonda! I do like that Atuk tried to pretend to have boobs by just sticking his hands yeah, under his shirt and pulling pushing his shirt it up. out. Yeah, <laughs> like a bag of sand. <laughs> yeah, that'll convince him. He throws Atuk to the ground and chases him out of the cave. Tonda lifts a giant rock with which to crush Atuk, but he falls backwards and Atuk runs away. At first, I thought that he literally died in this scene. Like yeah. when he came back to the cave, he was going to find out that he dropped that rock on his head, but no, he just fell over. Miles away, Atuk finds a bunch of left footprints in a row and realizes that he's found Lar's trail. Up ahead, he finds Lar hopping along, and they're so happy to see each other, they run in slow motion to hug. They collide with such force that they crack each other's backs and learn to walk upright. <laughs> there is a weird amount of back cracking in yeah. this movie. <laughs> I think that when they're running at each other, um, Atuk is also running with one leg for no yeah, reason. Yeah, he is yeah. doing that. In their words, Lar asks why Atuk is here, and he says that Tonda kicked him out. Atuk draws a stick figure with giant boobs in the dirt and tells Lar that he loves Lana. Lar reminds him that Tonda and Lana love each other. Atuk and Lar sleep under a cliff face, and a mosquito the size of a lobster lands on Lar's head. <laughs> Bigger than that. <laughs> yeah, a big lobster. He calls to Atuk for help, and Atuk flicks the bug, which doesn't work. <laughs> And then he decides to just smash it on his face, <laughs> oozing slimy bug guts all over Lar. And Lar is just like coughing up like yeah. all the... And Atuka just like turns over and goes, yeah, I did it. Right back to sleep. <laughs> it's like, I, I, did a, I did a good thing. But there's so much slime here, it looks like Lar is just aspirating on it. There's, it looks like someone cracked 30 eggs on his face. The next day, they come to a tar pit and hide when they see a girl, Tala, and her father, Gog, arriving, played by Shelley Long and Jack Guilford, respectively. Gog seems blind, and maybe he was led here to use the pit as a restroom? I don't know. It, it seemed, seemed like, that, like he was turning around to bend over, and she gave him some privacy. But it's, yeah, so it seemed like she led him there on purpose, but then he can't see where he's going. Right. So, it, so of course, he falls yeah, right into it. Yeah. Yeah. But you'd think he'd know where he was because they seemed to be going there intentionally. Unless she was, and I, at first I thought she was trying to get rid of him. Like, oh yeah, okay, you've, you've reached you've, the you've age. Come, you've come here to die now. Yeah. Go into the pit. <laughs> no. Gog disappears under the surface, but we can still hear his voice as though he's not under the surface. Atuk is able to pull him out by his cane. Gog blindly feels for Atuk, hunched over, and Lar gives him a big back crack to get him standing upright again. He seems to be in total bliss over this new feeling. Atuk lifts Tala to crack her back too, and when he does, she seems to fall instantly in love with him. Gog almost walks right into another pit, and we cut to them washing in a swimming hole together. Somehow, in the next scene, they've lost track of Gog and are calling out his name. We see that Gog has crashed into a T-Rex and is bashing his head repeatedly into the dinosaur's gut until he notices Gog. Gog gives the dinosaur a brief hand job. <laughs> and then smashes its balls with his cane and it runs off i think he's just petting his leg <laughs> no he's petting a lump in his crotchal region are you sure 
Look I, at the dinosaur's face I, when you rewatch I, I, this. I, I think, okay. I think the gag when he hits it with the stick is supposed to be that he, he hit his junk. Yeah. Mm. And the dinosaur's like, ah, and runs away. No. I knew, I mean, I realized that the dinosaur, okay. I mean, maybe this is the difference between you and me watching this. I realized that the dinosaur was enjoying it. Yeah. And then wasn't. But I didn't think no. that was his penis. He, it's literally, <laughs> he starts rubbing this lump on the dinosaur to try and identify it. And then we see the dinosaur's face is just in ecstasy. Uh-huh. And then he whacks it with a cane and the dinosaur runs off. Okay. It crosses paths with Lar, Atuk, and Tala, and they run away. They climb a rock formation, but Atuk stops when he sees a large branch that he might fight the dinosaur with. He's trying to lift it when the dinosaur leans down and impales itself on the weapon. For some reason, instead of dying, the T-Rex just starts burping and then walks yeah. away. Yeah, I wasn't... I, at first, I thought maybe like that he had punctured the lung, yeah, and that was causing some kind of belch reaction. Maybe, but, yeah. Uh, it's very unclear why it's belching. But the very next scene that we see the dinosaur, there's no puncture wound. It yeah. might be a different and dinosaur, it's alive. just a oh, very similar looking that's one. That's true. That's possible. The cave people celebrate their win, and Gog offers Atuk Zugzug or sex with Tala as a reward, but Atuk says that he's in Alunda with Lana. Lar reminds Atuk that she has spoken for, and Atuk steals Gog's cane, intending to beat Tonda to death with it. Tonda is not home, but Lana is. Atuk approaches her as, elsewhere in the cave, Gog blindly fondles the chests of several women. Tonda returns to the cave, and Atuk hides in a crawl space. Tonda's lackeys bring in a huge piece of meat on a bone and fight over it until Tonda breaks it in two to settle the dispute. She tells him, Atuk? meaning Atuk came here. I think Kuda means come, come yeah. or, or came. Tonda looks for him but realizes that he's disappeared out of the cave once again. We see the howling dinosaur, but this time it's hooting. <laughs> <laughs> Lar and Atuk sneak back into the cave at night and steal Lana from her bed. She tries to scream for help when she sees what's happening, but they have her mouth covered. Once they get her outside the cave, Tala rips Atuk's hand off of her mouth, allowing her to scream for help, or Ai, as they call it. Tonda and his men are awoken and chase after them. Lana escapes them and returns to the cave, and Tonda tries to throw the same rock at Atuk, but forgets to let go of it and almost knocks himself out by landing headfirst on top of the rock. Atuk, Lar, Tala, and Gog are sleeping in a circle the next morning, or I guess a square, because there's four of them <laughs> lay- using each other as each pillows. Other. Yeah, yeah. When a stranger caveman finds them, as they awaken, he hides in a nearby cave. Atuk starts to follow him in and summons the man out of the cave, calling himself Bobo, meaning friend. When the man is convinced he means no harm, he leads his enormous family out of the cave. Gog finds a large gourd, and Tala follows the vine with her eyes to an approaching dinosaur. Tala shouts to everyone to hide from the matcha, and Atuk tries to corral Gog back into the cave. Gog hands him the gourd, and he tosses it in the air, and it lands directly on the dinosaur's horn. He's so disoriented by this gourd on his head that he wanders away from the tribe, and they're safe again. Yeah, it's like he, it's like he keeps trying to focus on it, and he's going cross-eyed. Yeah. So like his his field of vision that we see as POV is like the two images overlaid, but the wrong way. Which I think they must have had a full-size dinosaur head prop with the pumpkin on it. Like, this is all yeah. really well thought out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For this movie called yeah. Caveman. <laughs> As the whole group of cavemen continue down the trail, we can tell by the looks on their faces that they've all just gotten their backs straightened. That night, there's a terrible rainstorm, and the tribe finds a hollowed-out tree to move into. 
Lightning strikes a branch of the tree, which breaks off and lands in front of them, flaming from both ends. We also hear an also Sprock Zarathustra sound alike as the cavemen discover fire and move forward to warm their hands on it. So this was, <laughs> I just, just for the record, I turned the, the subtitles on for this movie because <laughs> oh, I was really curious what they would be like. So I don't think that they were from like anything official, Yeah. but th- this title made me laugh because it just said 2001 Space Odyssey type music when yeah. it yeah. started to play. But I, I just think it's funny because you could tell exactly how much knowledge that the person doing these open titles has about music yeah. because they they they're like yeah i don't you know the, the name reference. of the song but it's kind of like that 2001 space mm-hmm. movie or maybe like, they did know the name and they were like if i put also sprock zarathustra a deaf person isn't gonna well but later they play um william tell overture and that appears in the subtitles but like when uh, a toque is trying to assault her at the beginning they're playing bolero and it doesn't <laughs> say bolero in the subtitles yeah do you remember the last time we talked about Bolero on the podcast? I do not. Nope. Scared to death. <laughs> she offers to put on some music for the detective author. And uh, he says, oh, do you have Ravel's Bolero? Because he's making a joke about the movie 10, mm. where she says, you ever have sex to Ravel's Bolero? Bolero. They definitely tried to get Bo Derek for this movie, for sure. Yeah. I guarantee you she was in line for the Barbara Bach role, or she had been offered it probably. A took sticks his hand in the fire, and one of his fingers just catches on fire. <laughs> Gog pokes his cane in the fire and can't put it out. A took announces that this invention shall be called Araka. Suddenly we're watching the tribe from the POV of two cavemen hiding in the woods. A pack of cavemen wander out of the trees and announce that they are Bobo, friends. The first pair of cavemen we see are holding hands, which I think is meant to imply that they're in a relationship together. They all introduce themselves, including an Asian-American caveman whose name is Nuke, a hilarious reference to the nuclear bombs that ended World War II at the cost of hundreds of thousands of innocent lives. The new cavemen bring with them a dead chicken to eat. Bull? Bull, no. Food. It turns out Nuke here speaks fluent English, but he's just confusing everybody. That's fire. Haraka. Atuk just starts listing caveman words that he knows without any context, and Nuke is able to translate them into English. So he must be fluent in both because he didn't say, when he says Alunda, Nuke just says, oh, that means love. It's like, I didn't do anything to indicate love. So you knew this word. Well, maybe. But at the same time, he seems kind of confused by the fact that they're using words that aren't English. Right. This is a, a gag that kind of starts and ends here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of was hoping that this would go further. Yeah. Like, just, like, almost not so much that, that it's obnoxious or that he's supposed to be, like, the rationale of the audience or something like that, but just, like, that he keeps trying to, like, name things properly. Yeah. And it would be fun if he it, was just kind of throughout the rest of the story being the the voice of the present well or even just take the joke just one little step forward and just be you know whatever it comes up with a word we haven't heard before and he's like ugh and he's like oh anti-disestablishmentarianism yeah Yeah. or or even like if if like they go matcha matcha holy shit yeah (laughs) like if he just did something like that because he didn't know what matcha meant until he saw it 
Atuk sees the men arguing over the chicken and remembers when Tonda broke the giant turkey leg in half for his men. He offers to do the same here, but he can't break it. And he hands the chicken head to a caveman while he pulls on the other side, and they, by sheer coincidence, accidentally hold the chicken over the fire, seemingly inventing cooked meat, and even more specifically rotisserie, as they <laughs> twist the chicken. But the giant turkey leg that Tonda brought back to the cave earlier was also cooked. So there was probably already fire earlier, too. Around the campfire, after they eat, one of the cavemen finishes consuming a drink from a hollowed gourd and exhales over it, inventing a simple flute. Everyone likes the sound, and Nuke starts clicking bones together to drum. Eventually, people join in singing, and a song is invented. In the morning, Atuk rises and moves to pee on a tree in the distance when he notices a T-Rex nearby. He shouts matcha to the tribe and runs away. Atuk almost steps in the fire, but he has a great idea. He lures the T-Rex toward him, and it steps in the campfire. We get a cartoony moment of the T-Rex sniffing the air, recognizing the smell of its own cooking foot before it feels anything, and then the dinosaur stumbles away, shaking its blackened foot. The tribe thanks him for his quick thinking and then ask him to lead them to more ool. After a few days, they start licking their lips and looking at Nuke's pet lizard. Nuke puts the lizard down to show off its skill at finding food for them and it freezes in place like a pointer dog. They follow the gesture to an enormous egg in a nest on a small cliff. The cavemen team up to carry the egg away and when they eventually set the egg down, they accidentally crush one of their own, a dwarf caveman who is carrying it from underneath. I think his name is Ta, but it's hard to tell who all the cavemen yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was actually funny for me because I'm like, this is finally one movie where I think I actually do know everybody's name because it's just about the only words spoken in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they lift it again and help him out. And when they stop to catch their breath for a moment, Tonda and his men show up and scare Atuk and his new tribe away. They run in circles around the egg for a moment. And when Atuk's tribe escapes, Tonda steals the egg. The egg is so heavy that they have to set it down in the middle of a ravine where suddenly a pterodactyl finds them in search of its egg. Just as the dinosaur bird swoops down at them, they drop the egg off a cliff into what is either supposed to be a hot spring or a very shallow volcano. <laughs> yeah, I think it's supposed to be some kind of hot spring. Yeah. yeah. From above, it already looks like a 10-foot wide fried egg. Atuk's men come across the meal and begin eating the ool out of the spring. In addition to the dinosaurs, someone cared a lot about the accuracy of this egg prop because yeah. it looks great. <laughs> it looks like a 10-foot wide egg. It's It looks pretty good. The egg white that he's holding in his hand looks like egg white. Oh no, I think the egg white in his hand might actually just be egg yeah, white. Yeah, but, but it's but it's also like 6 inches thick that yeah. what he is holding. But when but he goes inside to walk the, on it. Even the walking on it looked real to me. And even breaking the yoke, he breaks the yoke and he falls into the yoke and he's stuck in the stringy yoke. All of the consistency of it looked proper to me okay. for an egg that size. It's it's impressive prop work. They tear it into pieces and wear omelet ponchos back to their camp. <laughs> but Tonda and his men are spying on them. A battle ensues and Atuk's people start waving flaming torches around to scare the stronger tribe away. 
Ak is set on fire, and as he runs away, he farts repeatedly, and each fart shoots flames out of his costume. I'm not totally sure how they did this, <laughs> and it looks really good. I'm not usually one to applaud a fart joke, but kudos. The fire eventually goes out, and Atuk's plan is to get fire back from Tonda, who left their camp with lit torches. After a bit of a hike, they find themselves ankle-deep in a huge pile of shit. And then, we see the dwarf caveman come around a corner pulling his pants up, giving the indication that this entire puddle came from him. Is that what they're implying? I don't think so. Because he comes around the corner, like, smiling and pulling up on his on his tunic, and then he, he points at the poop and starts laughing, and then he... No, I think it's because uh, they're they're walking through the deep, and then they, they're looking for him. And they think that he's drowned in it. Right. Oh. Uh, and they're right. going, ta, ta, ta. And I didn't even through. realize they were looking for him. And yeah, okay. they were digging for him. That's why they're completely covered in it. Okay. Yeah, and then he comes around and starts laughing at them. And then they just throw him into yeah. it. First, they each share their different words for shit. Doo-doo. <laughs> Kaka. Shit. They all throw the dwarf face down into the puddle before they move on. Tonda returns home to show Lana the Araka. They tell the story of their battle with the Tuk's tribe, and Ock shows off another caveman's burnt hair, and then that caveman turns Ock around to show that he farted so much that he burnt his pants away, and his ass is just hanging out of the back of his costume now. They all laugh about it. Tonda is suddenly self-conscious of the bent-over look of his entire tribe, and moves around cracking everybody's back to make them taller, including what looks like a five-year-old cave girl. It's kind of adorable, actually. Because she's doing a good job as, like, She's pretending that she's hunched over and then he pushes on her head and then she's smiling and walks back to her parents. When it comes his turn, it takes ten men piling on top to crack Tonda's back and it snaps like a tree trunk. He stands upright and celebrates. We see Atuk's tribe moving through the mountains with a T-Rex sneakily following them. It roars at them and they run around a narrow path on the mountain. Tala trips and screams for a took to save her. He notices a bush of the never-wake-up berries, as Patty from Blue Lagoon would call yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he snaps off a branch and shoves them into the dinosaur's face, giving Tala cover to escape. It eats the entire branch and then gets woozy and falls off the cliff. Thankfully, we see the dinosaur at the bottom of the cliff, still alive, having landed in a small crevice, and it still looks content. I wasn't so sure about that. Like, I was like, did he die? I liked this dinosaur. No, I think they made a point to not hurt any of these dinosaurs in I a mean, serious he, way. I yeah. mean, he comes back again. Yeah. But I was just like, I, I, was, I was almost sure he was going to die here. <laughs> no, I think he's just sitting there, and he's just like, still dazed because he's high on these yeah. berries. You know, you know what these dinosaurs kind of remind me of are the dog and cat from the stupids? Yes, yeah, I can see that. It, it's just like they're the only like stop motion characters or animated And they're barely characters. in it at all. Yeah. Atuk's tribe arrive at Tonda's empty cave and just start taking everything, including the Araka. They come upon a nearby stream where Tonda's fellow cavemen are using their cave women as fishing poles. <laughs> they're just holding them underneath the water. <laughs> they grab them by their legs and plunge their heads under the water to search for fish. Tonda pulls Lana out of the water with a fish and she tosses it up onto the rocks. And as he goes after the fish, he doesn't notice that Lana is getting washed away into a narrow stream on the rocks below. Tonda accidentally knocks his fish back into the water and jumps in after it. Atuk is watching the whole scene and moves to save Lana. When Tonda surfaces, Lana is nowhere to be found. Downstream, Atuk jumps into the water to save her. 
Tonda is still searching for her under the water at the top of this waterfall when a crab grabs him by the nose and Ock helps him remove it, tearing away all of the crab except for the claw in his nose. <laughs> Again, it's a thoughtful prop that the joke in any mm-hmm. other movie would have just been, we pull the whole thing off. But here, they're like, well, no, crabs can come apart like that. So yeah. let's just leave the claw on his face. And it stays there for the next, like, three scenes. Yeah. <laughs> every every time we cut to a new scene, and like you said, it happens, like, three times, I laughed when yeah. it showed him again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> back downstream, Atuk successfully rescues Lana, but Lar falls back into the water and is quickly pushed over a waterfall and beyond the horizon. I want to know where this is, because it looks fun. Yeah. It was, like, it's like... Yeah. A, it's like a, a little scary, but fun. Well, I think that the, they're they're shooting it and having them thrash around like it's scarier than it is. I'm sure it's, yeah. it's fairly safe, and I, I, I imagine this is some sort of tourist spot, but I'm it, curious it, where it they is. They shot in Mexico. Okay. Cause I forget the name of the cool. city. It's cool. It's like really shallow water that rushes down these, like, narrow passageways of rock, and it's just like a They natural, look very smooth, a water slide. Yeah, basically. it's basically mm-hmm. a natural water slide. I'm like, this is pretty awesome. Yeah. Ock tries to console Tonda by explaining that Lana probably drowned, and Tonda doesn't like that. Glub glub. Yeah, or glug glug. Well, because it's like zug zug, but glug glug. I I am pronouncing things the way they were written in the subtitles. Oh, okay. Just so you you know, like you say Araka, I say Haraka because it was written with an H. Okay, interesting. You say Araka, <laughs> and I say Haraka. Atuk informs Lana that Lar was washed away in their efforts to rescue her, and we get another title. A nearby Ice Age. <laughs> what does that mean? I thought an Ice Age was a temporal thing, not a location thing. We see a frozen landscape, and Lar rises from the surface of the lake in the middle. He stops to pee against a wall, and we just hear ice cubes tumble out of his junk. <laughs> I thought they were going to show like a pile of just like yellow ice cubes. They did. Oh, yeah. they did? Yeah, yeah they did later. Yeah, you must have blinked because oh, man. when they're looking for Lar, they come across this cave, oh, okay. and there they are. <laughs> As he walks away, we see an abominable snowman rise from the center of the lake and follow him. Like, did he also get washed down the little water slide? I think I just lives here. <laughs> Under the water. Yeah. Back in the forest, Atuk presents Lana to his tribe. He approaches Tala, and she thinks that it's to greet her, but he yanks a fur blanket from under her to offer to his new girlfriend. His tribe wants him to go look for Lar, but Lana just wants him to stick around for Zugzug. Ultimately, he moves to help his people, and Tala leaves with him. Atuk and his team get to the top of a snowy mountain, where the dwarf caveman finds Lar's footprint and a pile of yellow ice cubes. They're close. Around a corner, they find Lara frozen completely in a wall. (laughs) He's frozen running in place from the Yeti, and they start trying to break him out. Meanwhile, Tala is headed back to Tonda's cave to lead him back to Lana so that she can have a took all to herself. She finds Tonda auditioning a line of cave women by peeking into their fur bikinis. Tala is disgusted by the practice, but inadvertently stands at the end of the line of women. He picks her up to check out her butt for upside-down firmness. She says that she wants to lead him to Lana, who he insists is dead, and she yanks the crab claw out of his nose to entice him. Atuk and his friends are making progress, breaking Lar out of the ice, but the Yeti also escapes the ice and chases them out of the cavern. Lar still has one leg in a block of ice. Dennis Quaid's, like, like, screaming face, like... He really gives this his all when he's yeah. when he's happy or when he's scared or when he's screaming, and that's what I love about Dennis Quaid. First of all, I think he did the same thing in Gorp. It was a terrible movie, but I yeah. think he was just 
channeling 150% for that yeah. movie. Do you guys remember the last time we had a Yeti in an ice cavern with our hero? I remember you watching Iceman for some reason. No, it wasn't because of that. <laughs> I watched that because of Trog, but... Oh, right. Was, was it, it Trog? Trog? <laughs> no, it wasn't Trog. <laughs> it's something we've mentioned on the podcast already today. Scared to death. No. <laughs> something that took place a long time ago. Star Wars. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Do you remember now? Yeah, but that's not a Yeti. How do you pronounce it? Oh, Jedi. Wa- sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Wampa. <laughs> I wasn't talking about him. <laughs> Lar falls and the ice breaks off of his leg. The cavemen scurry across a frozen pond, but the Yeti gets stuck in the middle and cries when he finds himself all alone. Tonda is led to Lana at a Took's camp, and she's happy to see her love. The rest of Tonda's men attack the camp, and Lana regrets bringing them all here. Everyone is taken prisoner. All the women. Right. Yeah, basically everyone but Gog, because everybody else left in the search party to find Lar. When it took and the men get back to camp, they learn from Gog what happened. They make plans to attack Tonda and free their people. They make all kinds of weapons, axes, spears, slingshots, catapults. They fill gourds full of sleepy berries and coax a dinosaur into eating them before they march to Tonda's camp. They bend a tree back and put the dwarf in it to catapult him onto the roof of Tonda's cave. Again, at this point, I thought they killed the dinosaur. Yeah. I'm like, oh, because they're wearing, because they cut straight from sleeping dinosaur to them wearing armor. And I'm like, they skinned him alive. Oh, but no, that's not what happened. It's okay. He's fine. I know that now. I didn't know that when I was watching it. Ta, on the roof of the cave, lights a bundle of sticks on fire and drops them through a hole in the ceiling to smoke them out of the cave. I should mention that the dwarf is wearing the skin of what must have been a huge armadillo. Yeah. That's his armor. Mm -hmm. And it's actually very funny looking, (laughs) this armadillo skin, because he's got the head on and the front and back plates of the armadillo. It's great. As they exit the cave, Atuk, seemingly alone, lures Tonda's men to attack him. Behind his back, Atuk is holding a long-handled weapon with a deer antler on the end. When they get close, suddenly rocks are being tossed down on them from above, and a group of Atuk's men charge over the hill with weapons and armor. We see a quick shot of Nuke's lizard wearing a protective helmet. It was so cute. It's like a little tiny turtle shell on his head. (laughs) Everybody fights, and Atuk gets Tonda once good with the spear before Atuk retreats. Gog swings a weapon blindly through the fight for a while, not connecting with anyone. Atuk returns, riding on the back of the dinosaur, and I love this shot so much. They must have shot Ringo, standing high in frame, shaking a spear in the air, or maybe even sitting on a saddle. And then in front of that, they animated this dinosaur steed and fake Ringo legs on top of Ringo to make it look like a practical Ringo head is connected to these legs on the dinosaur. It's really great. It's ingenious, and I love that anyone cared that much about this movie to make that shot look like that. Well, and how well lined up it is. It really is just spot on. Because the first time I saw this image was in a GIF, and I was just like, how? How? Where's the seam? Because it looks so good. I mean, on in full screen in HD, I could tell. But it, it, You know, I think what helps, too, is, is that the dinosaurs are... I don't want to say crude because I think that that's not true. Yeah. But I think because they didn't try to make them hyper realistic. They're, or, they're cartoony. I mean, they, yeah. they look as they're like the Gary Larson drawings of yeah. dinosaurs. They're great. And and, and and I think that that helps with the like 
keeping things like you can make them more fluid and have yeah, them yeah. move around a little bit I without mean, folding and creases and stuff. I think they're shot on ones. I think they're at 24 frames a That's second. what I was going to mm. say. The I think part of what makes the animation look as real as it does, like the motion of them look as real as it does and as accurate as it does, is the fact that they're doing it frame for frame with the live action. So when you see it updating the same... Like I remember reading that Jurassic Park was supposed to have stop motion animated dinosaurs first. Mm. and then they shut that down because they were like oh no you know we got a bid from ilm and they they can make it look photorealistic with computers and i always thought like yeah i'm glad that happened because there's no way that would have looked as good but this was 1980 you know in 13 years with a spielberg budget they could have made stop motion animated dinosaurs look perfect in jurassic park and i i'm just i would like to see at least one shot replaced with stop motion animated dinosaurs but richard has to pay for it uh. tonda charges the dinosaur and rips a took off its back they fight in the dirt for a while and even the dinosaur just sits to watch the fight play out maybe it's still intoxicated a little bit <laughs> after about 10 kicks across the floor lana joins the fight to help kick a took and that's when tala jumps in to smack her down I like I like the smack too because she smacks her and she, and Shelley Long's really good at at pantomiming. Yeah, she's a great cave girl because she does so much acting with just her face. Yeah, because when she slaps her, she's like really satisfied. Then she kind of just goes, Ow. Yeah. <laughs> like like it really hurt her hand to do that. Atuk borrows weapons from his tribe and uses them one at a time on Tonda until a slingshot does the trick. So then he starts jumping on Tonda's chest. Yeah, and the way they have it framed is really great. Because he's clearly jumping behind him, but he's at, like, the right height and resistance, like, when he's jumping up and down, that it looks really good. And we get an insert of clearly someone is standing on his chest. Right. Um, and, but it's, like, this low-angle shot so that you see these two feet creep up on, on his rib cage, And it just, yeah, it looks totally real what he's doing here, even though they for sure aren't doing this to this guy. He declares leadership of the tribe, and Lana comes over as if he's won her too. And they walk together hand in hand under pomp and circumstance, a.k.a. the graduation march. The entire United Tribe cheers for them, and Lana jumps into Atuk's arms, and then he drops her in a big puddle of shit. And at this point, I assumed it was the dwarfs again, but I was mistaken earlier. He steps down to approach Tala and leads her through the crowd to the stage. Lar whispers in Gog's ear, Atuk, Alunda, Tala. They move into the cave for some Zug Zug, and a title tells us that they all lived happily ever after. Credits. And I like that they don't kill Tonda. Yeah, he's just outside her. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, like, he's been taken down. He's no longer the leader. Yeah. Be- because as, like, I, w- I won't say that Tonda was a bad leader. Yeah, no, I, th- I think he I was. I really don't think he was. And I think Atuk was, was pretty obviously worse than Tonda. Mm-hmm. Because. Until Atuk- he gained all these new skills mm-hmm. to did he though he stands upright he cooks food he he drugs women makes fire he kidnaps women he drugged dinosaurs to go right into battle Uh, that's true uh, who would not want to ride into battle with a half-baked dinosaur that's true he also in his defense he also drugged a man (laughs) that's true i asked you guys to bring your top three cavemen characters from film cavemen or cave women it could be either that changes your answer prehistoric men prehistoric Mm. Yeah. Uh, men and, and ladies. Um, I do have a cave lady. My number one was Trog from our, our Patreon review of Trog. I really like Trog. That 
the movie still entertains me yes in spirit mm-hmm. um what was your number one richard uh my number one was sid caesar as gunga from is his history. name Gunga because yeah. the credits just say Chief Caveman? Yeah, they, but if you if you listen to Orson Welles' narration, he refers to him as Gunga. Oh, okay. Uh, and because uh, <laughs> the whole the whole caveman sequence is really great. Yeah. Uh, in the beginning of that movie, uh, just because it's all it is all just grunts as well. Um, but yeah, Sid Caesar as Gunga. And Jesse, who was your number one? Well, duh, I had to go with Brandon Fraser as Link. Yep from Encino Man. Yeah. Of course. He's probably most people's number one pick. Yeah. Um, Cuz he's so hot. <laughs> that, that's why. Uh what, what is with him and and coming back from a previous time? Yeah, modern well, times. That's not that's not his only movie where he does that. No, cuz he know? did it in Blast from the Past and in George of the Jungle. Yeah. Well, he doesn't time travel in that's George true. of the Jungle. No, but he's he's coming to terms with the modern world was he in a journey to the center of the earth too was oh he, he was yeah he was but he what they didn't like find him down there no he but was, he's, he's from he above he goes to a different era mm. area <laughs> area you're right it is, <laughs> is it a lot of travel <laughs> spatial movies? not temporal yeah, i guess <laughs> in the mummy he goes to an older era by going into the by, by being cast in the movie <laughs> oh yeah because it's a period piece that counts as time travel what no it doesn't uh my number two was fred flintstone from a movie called the flintstones that's my number two yeah i was i was gonna ask how (laughs) like if we were all actively trying to avoid fred flintstone and i was for a long time and i was like screw it well that's what that's what i said i was just like it is the second best yeah (laughs) i I was really hoping that both of you would have said yes. Like, yeah, we were trying to avoid Fred Flintstone so I could say, Fred Flintstone, <laughs> number two. Perfect. Okay, so um, we all have the same number no, two. No, no, I, I don't. I didn't. I, I did actively avoid <laughs> Oh, okay. I, okay, so I you needed, did it. <laughs> I, I needed to wait to hear what your response was to my wow, accusation. So your I could, list is fluid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and because you had Trog, um, uh, I know this is kind of a stupid number two. Uh, I picked Chaka from the Will Ferrell land of the lost. <laughs> that's my number three. Oh, <laughs> see, I, I didn't pick that movie and I, I was thinking about it, but I was like, ah, technically, does this count? Yeah. I mean, he's a caveman. He's from a previous time. See, it's, yeah, like, well, because it, of Trog, I, I is yeah. the only reason I okay. included him. I, I couldn't remember the circumstances because it's been so long since I've seen any land of the lost stuff. Don't they travel in space? To get to the new land, so isn't it technically not like pre-human? Yeah, it's it is actually not a prehistoric time. It is like an alternate dimension. Yeah, in okay. which some of those things because they like go through like a wormhole or something. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. But then I guess the implication is that the, some of those dinosaurs from that dimension were able to get through this portal into our world, and that's why yeah. we found their bones. Uh, but Chaka is a male, and all the females look like normal humans. In, in his tribe, yeah, because yeah. Danny McBride stays behind, and he's super happy to find out that they all look like normal I people. I saw that movie <laughs> once when it came out. I don't remember it at all. And what was your number? Wait, did we get we, that? Was your number that two? Was, that was my number three. So yeah. what's? Did we get your number two? Was Fred Flintstone? What's yeah. your number three, Richard? Uh, my number three is Daryl Hannah from the Clan of the Cave Bear. Ah, see, I went with the other one. Which one? I went with Raquel Welsh from oh. One Million BC, One Million Years BC. Fuzzy Britches. <laughs> That's what he calls her in uh, Shawshank. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. 
the the, the Daryl Hannah character is is more of a modern human, but she's with a tribe of like like one or two generation of Neanderthal behind her. Right. And so she's kind of struggling to live with these more primitive versions of what they will, you know, what she is. Yeah. Um, I asked the same question to our discord and Twitter groups and, uh, on discord, Ray Hughes said, professor Clifford Groves, AKA Neanderthal man from 1953's the Neanderthal man Mm. about a scientist who starts by injecting cats with a serum that turns them into saber-toothed tigers and eventually injects himself to become the titular Neanderthal man. So it's kind of like altered states. Yeah. And that was going to be like, like again, like if we had like more crossover, I was going to say like William Hurt from Altered States. Yeah, I, in, I was, I almost included him on here too, but I didn't want to do all movies that we've covered on the podcast <laughs> and make people think that I've literally never seen anything. Steven Sperling went even further back to 1923 for Buster Keaton's Three Ages, which huh. is split into three different eras of of Earth history, but one of them is, is caveman times. And it features that shot of him jumping backward and like waving as he falls into a pool. Mm. You know, this film from above, they used the shot in The Fall in one of the montages of stunt work. Didn't uh, Charlie Chaplin have a caveman too, not just Buster Keaton? I think he did. Yeah. I think he was on something that i saw recently yeah on twitter ziggy went with moon watcher from 2001 a space odyssey the ape who invents weapons that i promised not to use for my list mm-hmm. because i picked it as my favorite ape in going ape Lindsay washburn went with ika that's radon chong's cave woman from quest for fire which we'll be covering next season and as a runner-up she went with ayla that's the daryl hannah cave woman from clan of the cave bear Rich Bergen went with Captain Caveman, who unfortunately has only been in one movie, and it's the god-awful Scoob. Yeah, I was considering Captain Caveman. It really was. And then I banned it because (laughs) Scoob is not a movie. And when I told Rich that I had banned it, he changed his answer to Richard Keel as Ega from 1962's Ega. He's the titular character. Helen suggested Jack Black and Michael Sarah as Zed and O from year one as worst cavemen. (laughs) <laughs> but agreed with Jesse that Link is the best caveman. I, I couldn't remember the movie Human Nature well enough to... Is that the one with... Like um, Tim Robbins? It's Yeah. I think it's a Kaufman. I think it's a Charlie Kaufman. That sounds right. And Rafa also went with Link. So Link's a popular guy. A lot of people, a lot of people picking Link, which makes sense. Anyway, this movie was great. I don't care what anybody says. Fuck them. Yeah. This was, this was I, actually really enjoyable. I'm giving it a big old thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, it's a thumbs up for me too. For the dinosaur animation alone, but the yes. rest of the story's fine. No, I laughed out loud constantly through this film. It is amusing and I it's definitely my kind of movie. <laughs> I'm going to be nice and petty here and bring up that this movie was used as a clause in our contract with each other about right. picking movies. <laughs> <laughs> there was a time the draft where, episode didn't air nobody yeah. knows about this <laughs> we held a draft to decide what movies would we would include in our calendar this year because we had limited ourselves and then i decided you know what let's just take our time and do them all and jesse was sure that she would hate this one and me and richard were sure that we would like it and i think jesse liked it the most out of all three of us yeah okay but, so i was wrong <laughs> i'm willing to admit that i just want to i want to show people that whatever impression they have of caveman from what they've heard or even what they've read on its own imdb page is misleading enough that this movie could be great and you don't know until you watch it but it's really fun 
it was silly it's yeah. silly fun the cast is all wonderful people who i like a lot yeah and they're all being funny i mean they're talking in a caveman language if that's if that's too much of a barrier for you like basically this movie caters to like the foreign film audience mm. this is a highbrow comedy <laughs> or or what i guess a low brow because <laughs> cavemen it's a protruding brow Pro- it's a protruding brow <laughs> comedy where's this going letterbox jess oh shit i gotta pull up my list where's this going letterbox richard um i i i, I actually moved it up <laughs> since we've been, uh, talking, since we've been talking um i have it in uh, number 14 which puts it below eyewitness but above Windwalker. okay another movie about cave people I have it in 17th place, so close to yours. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have it just under Knight Riders and just above Maniac. I also enjoyed it, and I think it's a fun adventure film. All right, I'm going to put it in 13th out of 42. Okay, so we're all kind of in the same zone. It is below Cutter's Way and above Eyes of a Stranger. All right, there we go. But yeah, uh, I, I liked everything about this. I like the, I even like that it's sound alike scores for all the different emotional moments that they're trying to strike. Yeah, I, I, and, I, and I was gonna, I was gonna bring that up when we were talking about the music. Is that a lot of it is borrowed or inspired by music from? Um, but I think that that's fine. It, it's uh, a very classical score. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually trying to figure out. So when I was looking up stuff about it, I was like is this the right of spring? Cause it sounds like the right of spring. And then I started Googling stuff about the music to figure out what stuff was in there. And I'm like, Oh, it's not, it's just very similar. It just sounds like it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't expect to like Ringo as much in, in the lead acting role because right. I haven't seen anything else he's done. He's definitely never been the lead in anything else. Unless you consider him the lead of that. The, he was in a band for a while that didn't. Yeah. I, I think I heard about it, but I don't think, um, I don't know music though. Yeah. <laughs> as you know, <laughs> I only know good music. <laughs> Our writer-director here was Carl Gottlieb. He started writing for the Smothers Brothers and then one-off series episodes for a while until he wrote Jaws, Jaws 2, and The Jerk. And he followed Caveman with Dr. Detroit and Jaws 3D. Oh, Dr. Detroit. Yeah, good stuff. We saw him last year as Ugly John for our Patreon review of Altman's MASH. He also shows up as a party guest in The Long Goodbye, Meadows in Jaws, Iron Balls McGinty in The Jerk, Mater D in The Sting 2, Dr. Magnus in Johnny Dangerously, and a priest in Clueless. Writer Rudy DeLuca was Vinny, who eats Pizza the Hut. Last year, he was Pat Manorino in Fatso, but most of his credits are Mel Brooks and Brooks-adjacent titles. Yeah. Silent Movie, High Anxiety, Transylvania 65000, and Dracula Dead and Loving It. Those are, he screenwrote all of those films. The music here was from Lalo Schifrin, he has 218 composer credits, including Cool Hand Luke, Bullet, Kelly's Heroes, The Beguiled, Pretty Maids All in a Row, THX 1138, Earth 2, the TV movie, Dirty Harry, Mission Impossible, Enter the Dragon, Charlie Varick, Roller Coaster. Last year, he composed When Time Ran Out, Serial, The Nude Bomb, Brubaker, Battle Creek Brawl, and he had an Oscar-nominated original song that none of us could remember in the movie The Competition. Mm-hmm. More recently, he has composed the 93 Beverly Hillbillies and Rush Hours 1, 2, and 3. Cinematographer Alan Hume, maybe all of the Carry On series, at least most of it. Later this year, he lends his Watcher in the Woods, For Your Eyes Only, and Eye of the Needle. And later, Return of the Jedi, Octopussy, Supergirl, A View to a Kill, Life Force, and A Fish Called Wanda. Life Force. We're getting there. We're so close. 
Editor Gene Fowler Jr. edited It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, A Man Called Horse, and Skate Town USA before this. Next, he will edit Jerry Lewis's final film as director, Cracking Up, in 83. We have another one of those. Sorry. Oh, boy. Jim Danforth. He trained in stop-motion animation with Art Clokey, the producer of Gumby. Before this, he had worked in visual effects for the 1960 Time Machine, which won an Oscar, but not for him. You know, I was thinking about that for Cavemen. Yeah. But because the Eloy are primitive, but they speak and all that stuff. And I was like, eh. Well, the Eloy are in the future, though, right? Yeah. So they're not prehistoric. They're post-historic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He also worked on It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. He did the miniatures of all the cast that plays over the credits. Okay. um, And the fire truck ladder stuff. Oh, that, that, that was great stuff. Yeah. Uh, he also did The Seven Faces of Dr. Lau, which earned him his first Oscar nomination. He modeled The Wonkavator and The Submarines in Diamonds Are Forever. He got a big break when Harryhausen was busy with Valley of Guanji, so Hammer came to him for the dinosaur effects in When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth, which obviously gets a shout-out in Jurassic Park, and earned Danforth a second nomination, this time losing to Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Really? In the early 70s, he animated a half-beetle, half-man character in Flesh Gordon, making Caveman his second time working with a beetle. Because of the pornographic elements of the film, he asked not to be credited. Instead, producer Howard Zyme chose to credit him as Midge Hatrofnad, which is his name backwards. <laughs> More recently, he's provided visual effects on Bud Cardos's The Day Time Ended, which gets a minisode this year. He went uncredited for his design work on Caveman, as well as later this year on Clash of the Titans, where he served as assistant to Ray Harryhausen. He will continue uncredited for matte artistry and miniature works through Conan the Barbarian, Creepshow, The Thing, Megaforce, and the Twilight Zone movie. And he finally gets his credits in titles like Neverending Story, The Ewok Adventure, The Stuff, Jason Takes Manhattan, Neverending Story 2, and The Prophecy. Ringo Starr played a toque. Sir Ringo Starr and Barbara Bach met on the set and were married 10 months later, 10 days after this film's release. Yeah, I, I was reading all about their their history together yeah um and boy it got it got rough for a bit but they're still together they're still together to this day uh she said she heard they were consulting with dudley moore for the lead and was very disappointed to find her future husband when she got to set (laughs) but they hit it off he plays himself in pop star never stop never stopping directed by my third favorite caveman richard's second favorite caveman yorma tacone he plays merlin in son of dracula He's the Pope in Listomania, Laszlo Karalny in Sextet, and he spent a long time as the host of various incarnations of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends, like four different versions of that show. Yeah, I was really surprised because I remember, like, I'm like, oh no, he was on that show when I was a kid, and then I looked it up, you know, no longer being a kid, I'm like, oh no, he's on that show now. Yeah, (laughs) and sometimes he's credited as narrator and sometimes as Mr. Conductor. Because George Carlin was was the conductor on that show too, was he? Yeah, I think he was. I, I think I I think I might have w- watched iterations with both of them as the conductor guy. But th- he's dressed as a conductor, but he narrates the story. Right. Yeah. So I think that both are correct titles. Sure. Dennis Quaid plays Lar. We've seen him so far in Long Riders with his brother, and then Gorp and All Night Long. Later this year, he has. The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia, which we won't be covering because I could not find it, and Stripes, 
Later, he shows up in Jaws 3D from director Carl Gottlieb's script, and The Right Stuff, Enemy Mine, Inner Space, and The Day After Tomorrow. Shelley Long played Tala, second film after A Small Circle of Friends last year. She's back in Night Shift, Irreconcilable Differences, Troop Beverly Hills, and most famously as Diane Chambers on Cheers for The Good Seasons, a role that she reprised in a few Frasier episodes after being engaged to his character on Cheers. And more recently, she was Dee Dee Pritchett on Modern Family. She's great. <laughs> She's so crazy. I just love her. And she just seems so funny all the time in everything that she does. Oh, she's also in um, with Tom Hanks, the uh, house that they're fixing. Oh, the Money Pit. Pit. Money Pit. I don't know why they didn't make my list, but I love her in that movie. She's just great all the time. She's so funny and she's so adorable. Jack Guilford played Gog. He was Doc Danica in our Patreon review of Catch-22 last year. He was the tailor to the giant in Holy Moses for 1980. After this, he plays Bernie Lefkowitz in Cocoon and Cocoon 2, and Mr. Butterworth in Arthur 2 on the Rocks. Cork Hubbard played Ta. He was Briggs, the bell captain at the hotel in Where the Buffalo Roam last year. He's also back this season as Rolo Sweet in Under the Rainbow. Later, he's Brown Tom in Legend. Paco Moreda played Flock. He'll be a cellmate in High Risk later this year. We're going to have a lot of high-risk actors because I'm assuming that also shot in Mexico. Evan C. Kim played Nuke. He was Suki in Megaforce next season. He's Clint Eastwood's partner in The Deadpool and Lou in the Fistful of Yen segment of the Kentucky Fried Movie. Carl Lumley played Bork. He's John Parker in The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai Across the Eighth Dimension. More recently, he's been a longtime voice of Martian Manhunter on a couple Justice League animated series. He's Marcus Dixon in 105 episodes of Alias and Wilson in A Cure for Wellness. And even more recently than that, he portrayed super soldier Isaiah Bradley in Marvel's Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But I will always remember him as Mantis from the TV movie and consequent series. Mantis stood for Mechanically Augmented Neurotransmitter Interception System, and he was basically a cyborg Batman character. But by day, he was a mild-mannered scientist confined to a wheelchair after being shot in the spine by a police sniper while trying to protect a child during a riot. But I remember being very excited for that show when it first came out. Um, I forget who it was now that there was some part of the creative team that I was like, oh, I love that. I love their work. I'm definitely going to check this. I think it was Sam Raimi had something to do with the show. Really? But it was it was going to be like a primetime superhero series. Um, it didn't didn't stick around. Gigi Vorgan played Folg's daughter. She was Brooke in Jaws 2. She's credited as voiceover actor in The Burbs. Who would that be? Uh, which one is this? One of the Gigi daughters Vorgan? that comes out of the cave. Voiceover actress. Is there a part where they're watching television or? Yeah. Um, I mean, there there is. Uh, but Then that's uh... it. Okay. Next credit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. She's also Officer Andre in Red Heat. Esteban Valdez played Folg's son. So I'm assuming he was a child, a very small child that comes out of this cave in the line of mm-hmm, the guy's right. family. There was, yeah, there was a handful of children. He's an animator now. Oh. He's worked on a bunch of stuff, including Axe Cop. He's nice. an animator for Axe Cop. Anais DeMello played Mika. She's Dominique in The Evil That Men Do. John Matusak played Tonda. He went to high school in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Hmm. He was the first overall draft pick in the 73 NFL draft, having been selected by the Houston Oilers, but somehow showed up to the wrong field and in an effort to avoid confrontation was roped into playing for the Houston Texans at the time 
part of a separate league, the WFL, where he was served a restraining order after seven plays, barring him from playing for two teams at the same time. The Oilers were pretty pissed about it, and then traded him to Kansas City, who then traded him to the Redskins, and released him soon after. As a free agent, he signed with the Raiders, where he spent most of his career, eventually retiring after winning his second Super Bowl a mere three months before this film was released. Wow. In 78, he placed ninth in the World's Strongest Man competition. He later shows up in the Ice Pirates, One Man Force, and One Crazy Summer, but most famously, as the character Sloth from Richard Donner's The Goonies. His his big roar that he does that ha yeah is like it's unmistakable sloth yeah <laughs> sadly he passed away from a drug overdose uh, Darvaset he was thirty eight years old which means he was like thirty in this movie that's crazy but he didn't make it out of the eighties Barbara Bach played Lana she was Major Anya Amasova the titular me in The Spy Who Loved Me. Before this, she'd appeared in Force 10 from Navarone and The Humanoid alongside EGA actor Richard Keel. Last year, she was Miss Bliss in Up the Academy, and we'll see her again in The Unseen later this season. Avery Schreiber played Auk. So far, we've had him in Coming Attractions, a.k.a. Loose Shoes, and Galaxina, wherein he played Captain Corny Butt. Later, he's uncredited in Cannonball Run, and then he's in Robin Hood Men in Tights, Dracula Dead and Loving It, and he's the voice of Beanie Bison on the Animaniacs. Apparently, he was a longtime spokesperson for Doritos, and in each commercial, he would play a different professional honing their craft, but then interrupted by someone eating Doritos. <laughs> so he just gets annoyed at the sound. He was also well-known for his role as Captain Mancini on My Mother the Car, and during his time at Second City, developed a character called Samurai Landlord that student John Belushi would later borrow to great effect on Saturday Night Live. Sadly... Avery passed away at the age of 66 of a heart attack, so mm. still pretty young. Miguel Angel Fuentes played Grot. He plays Cholo in Fitzcarraldo. Ana de Sade played Grot's mate. She's Serrano's woman in High Risk and the prostitute in Alejandro Jodorowsky's The Holy Mountain. Gerardo Zapita played Bula. He was Bandit in El Topo and a policeman in High Risk. Pamela Guao played Nuda's mate. She's Tammy the Stewardess in Volunteers, which we'll get to. I'm excited about that one because it's Walter Matthau and Robin Williams. I've never seen it. Oh, huh. uh, sorry. When you said Volunteers, I went with Tom Hanks and is is that called Volunteers with Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks and uh, his wife Rita. Oh, I'm thinking of Survivors. You're right. Volunteers oh. is with them. Yeah. Why can't I think of his name? Rita Wilson. Yeah. Well, that's why he was yelling yeah. Wilson. Yeah, he named the ball after his wife. Nicholas Josso played Caveman. Uh, he's the also titular caveman the, the titular caveman it's a reference to one random caveman in the background uh, he also played Yori in High Risk Raul Martinez played caveman he's General Martinez in Green Ice and a Mexican police sergeant in the Falcon and the Snowman not the Witcher Soldier wait sorry he played caveman in yeah caveman? no not caveman 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 yeah got it I know exactly which one you're talking about Zochitl del Rosario played Cave Woman. You remember Cave Woman? Oh, yeah. Sure. She's also a prostitute in high risk. Richard Mole played the Abominable Snowman. <laughs> he was a beat poet in American Pop earlier this season, and more recently he was Top Gun, the cheating beer guzzler in Hard Country. We'll see him next as Father Esteban in Evil Speak, but he's probably best known as Bull from Night Court. Yeah. I always think of Big Ben from House. We've mentioned before that he appeared on Batman as the voices of Harvey Dent and Two-Face separately. Those are all the credits I had for this one. 
I think that's everything for Caveman. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Because this is our first episode of the month again, I wanted to remind our listeners about our Patreon campaign. Vintage Video will always be free to listen to, but if it's worth it to you, a donation as small as a buck is greatly appreciated. $5 patrons get a shout-out on the show a monthly exclusive episode reviewing a title from the 70s, and a hand in choosing each month's film. As an added bonus, this year we're starting to fill in some of the blanks from last year with about 20 mini-sos reviewing titles that didn't make the cut from 1980. From July of 1971, our $5 patrons are choosing between the following eight titles. The Light at the Edge of the World, an adaptation of Jules Verne's adventure novel starring Kirk Douglas as a lightkeeper with a troubled past, suddenly attacked by vicious pirates led by Yul Brenner. The Devils, Altered States director Ken Russell's historical dramatization of the rise and fall of Urbane Grandier, played by Oliver Reed, a priest accused of witchcraft after a rash of possessions in Loudon, France. Oh, is that the one with the crazy nuns in the trailer? Yes, it is. It's freaking awesome imagery. I definitely recommend checking out the trailers. Check out the trailers for all of these, please, before you vote, because this month was really hard to get down to eight movies. There's so many good things. Uh, The next one, The Hired Hand. Peter Fonda directs and stars in this American Western film, lensed by Heaven's Gate DP Vilmo Sigmund, and also features Warren Oates and Verna Bloom. Murders in the Rue Morgue, a loose adaptation of Poe's novel of the same name from regular Hammer director Gordon Hessler and starring Jason Robards, Christine Kaufman, Herbert Lom, and Lily Palmer. Panic in Needle Park, an early breakout role for Al Pacino, directed by Honeysuckle Rose Helmer Jerry Schatzberg, about a couple in love with each other and heroin. Shaft, an early exploitation film starring Richard Roundtree as the famous titular detective John Shaft, adapted from Ernest Tidyman's novel of the same name. It was followed by four sequels, the most recent of which was in 2019. Is it really a sequel? Yeah. Yeah, they're all connected. They're all- Richard Roundtree is in all four of them. Mm-hmm. So it- but to be a sequel, it's like a continuation of the story? It's yes. not a reboot? Correct. Oh. Samuel L. Jackson is playing the son of Richard Roundtree's character. Ah. And in the new movie, they introduce Samuel L. Jackson's son. So now oh. there's three generations, but Richard Roundtree is in all of them as John Shaft the whole time. Oh, cool. Tulane Blacktop, Monty Hellman's American Road movie starring songwriter James Taylor, Beach Boy Dennis Wilson, Warren Oates, and Lori Bird, and Willard an American horror film adapted from Stephen Gilbert's novel Ratman's Notebooks and starring Bruce Davison, Ernest Borgnine, Elsa Lanchester, and Sandra Locke, who would later go on to write, direct, and star in her own rat person story. (laughs) It eventually got a sequel, Ben, and a remake starring Crispin Glover. Each of these films celebrate their 50th anniversaries this coming July. We also have a Discord now. Join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at vintagevideopodcast.com slash Discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing improper channels, which IMDb describes like so. A couple fights for justice to get their injured daughter out of a foster care center. That sounds like a drama, doesn't it? Yeah, is it not? It doesn't sound like a wacky comedy, right? Because <laughs> I watched it today, and who boy, does it not know what it is. <laughs> we leave you now with a trailer for Improper Movie. No, Im- Improper Channels. And what's your name? Nancy. Nancy Martley. And I'll bet your daddy brought you in, didn't he? Yes. 
And I'll bet you weren't wearing your seatbelt, right? No, I fell, um, I fell down. Where? I fell on my head. I see. And how did you do that? You know. No, I'm afraid I don't. Nancy, how did you fall? I fell off my trike.